The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Trisha Barker, had a profound near-death experience during her senior year at college, and this experience guided her to teach overseas, in public schools, and at the college level. Her near-death experience story has been featured in uh, I Survived, Beyond and Back, and was covered in National Geographic. Trisha's memoir, Angels in the OR, What Dying Taught Me About Healing, Survival, and Transformation, will be available for purchase in the summer of 2019. Trisha teaches English at a community college in Fort Worth and interviews near-death experiencers, researchers, and healers on her YouTube channel. Trisha's poetry and essays have been published in several publications, including the Binnacle, the Patterson Literary Review, and the Midwest Quarterly. Trisha, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. So great to be here. Thank you for having me as a guest. Oh, it's wonderful to have you on. Uh, Trisha, let's begin by um, your telling the listeners about your NDE. All right. Yeah, it's uh, the best story of my life, right? <laughs> and it's my death. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so I was agnostic at the time of my near-death experience, and someone said to me the other day they feel like perhaps my near-death experience was faded because mm. uh, with the types of injuries that I had, it's rare for someone to not be able to go into surgery until 17 hours after that uh, that traumatic car accident. But I ended up uh, having to wait for a neurosurgeon to operate on me, and I had lots of internal injuries. Well, those first moments outside of my body, I was convinced that the consciousness outside of our form is the true reality and the truth, and that this body is just a vehicle of that consciousness, and I knew so much more, I experienced so much more just in those first few seconds outside of my body, looking at the operating table, looking at that body bloody and opened up, uh, I had spinal injuries, so they had my back and hip completely opened up and blood was spilling out, and I was at peace, I was like, hmm, if I have to leave this body, that's fine, uh, because now I know <laughs> I'm so much more, <laughs> but I... I did yes. want to return so that I could argue with all my agnostic friends and go, oh, we were so wrong. <laughs> we were wrong <laughs> just in those first moments. But I saw, I had a very profound near-death experience, and I saw angels. And these angels blew me away, Lee. Like, they really were fantastic. They were about eight or nine feet tall, and that's why I titled my book Angels in the OR, because that was, the most shocking moment of my near-death experience is to see that we truly are guided and divinely guided by the other side. And these angels were sending light messages through their eyes and into my body and healing into my body. And they also slowed down and told the surgeon or told me to watch as they sent this light through the back of the, the surgeons, through their hands and into my body. And I was certain that I would walk because that was my fear before surgery. I'd lost um, feeling in my left leg and, you know, running was important to me. And, you know, that was a very frightening uh, thought that I might not walk. And 
they assured me that I would be fine, that I would walk and run and, and continue with life. But then the monitor flatlined. So I realized I had not technically been dead until that moment. And I was just out of body. And then I was dead. And I saw my, I saw the surgeons and step back, you know, hurriedly and people rush around. And then I was like, ooh, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to go explore something a little bit more fun than this. <laughs> and left the hospital, saw my stepdad who was getting a candy bar from a vending machine and later verified that detail. And then I floated and felt this oneness with everyone in the town of Austin and just felt great peace, like floating in the night sky. And I was beginning to feel a connection with God. So it was not a strong connection. I call it like a piece of light was coming for me. And then that tunnel experience that a lot of people experience, I kind of transitioned and it all, it's so hard to explain time. I, that's thats where I really struggle with the near-death experience, because some things seem to happen at once, some knowledge seemed to be given to me instantaneously, and then other things seem to have somewhat of a chronological moment. So mm. somewhere in that experience, I began to transition into a new place, and I also had somewhat of a life review. So I felt like this God consciousness was forcing me to look at parts of my life and nothing that was particularly painful that was done to me, like all of that was just washed away. So any pain that we experience at the hands of others, that, that's not part of the life review. It's really how we live, you know, like our choices and yes. our choices to enjoy life, to be one with nature, to be peaceful and loving and good to other people. Those are like the moments heaven is cheering for us, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> you know, you were kind, you were good, you were loving. How did, how, how did your past life appear to you? Some people say it's like on a screen or... or um, yeah, mine, do you, do you... mine was, yeah, mine was a little different. It was like... Um, it was like the cosmos or the universe was beginning to show up and uh, the light of God at the same time, and it was kind of like a screen, but it was like a bubble that so was like thrown across the night sky. And then I saw little interactions. I saw my kid, myself as a kid with animals being sweet. I saw myself, you know, in other situations, um, kind of brushed aside, like, don't act like that. <laughs> you know, like, act like this instead. <laughs> and then one particular instance where I was shown the hearts of other people that I was interacting with. And, and they were almost like in a bubble. So it was like I could experience the past and feel those emotions, but I was also a consciousness far away from it, looking at it. Does that kind of make sense? I know it's so hard to explain. Yes, yes, it does. Did did your angels travel with you when you left the hospital? No, I got the sense that they stayed with my body. So maybe as I was being revived, they were continuing to work on my body. Yeah, that's a great image, the, the healing light flowing from the angels through the doctor's hands. Uh, into the work sh that, uh, that she was doing. It's quite powerful. Yeah. And she was not even religious, um, and that always struck me, too, that um, she was not necessarily a believer, but she was someone who did a very good job and cared a lot for people and wanted to be a great neurosurgeon and make great strides in, in her field. And so I think sometimes when we're just filled with a passion to help others, the other side can work through mm -hmm. us, whether we believe or not, and it's kind of amazing. 
Now, after your life review, what happened? Well, then I transitioned into that heavenly realm, and the grass was so green. There was no, um, there was no death there. It was all just brilliant, beautiful life. And there did seem to be, oddly, a wind that was blowing through this thick green grass, but it was a very happy wind, you know, not like a powerful wind that's going to knock you over, just this beautiful, peaceful, flowing grass that flowed, you know, for a long way. And then uh, this was kind of an odd part of my near-death experience, but my grandfather was there, and he was the only one who I knew who was dead. And I wouldn't have recognized him because he was so young, and I only knew him as a much older man. But his form looked like he was in his late 30s or early 40s, and I barely recognized his jawline, but then he showed me a truck that he had given our family, and he used to drive me around in this truck when I was a kid, and I would sit on the back and let my feet kind of go through the grass. And so I thought, well, this is fun. I'll just be a kid again and sit on the back of this truck. And um, then he kind of carried me along through this grass, and I just felt peaceful, and I was reminded there were certain messages that came to me during my near-death experience. And they were like big, it was like the voice of God, but it was a, a strong message. And one of these messages is that love is all that matters. And, you know, I let that sink in. And then another one was be like a little child. And so I was being like a little child, you know, in my near-death experience, just <laughs> playing and loving and being happy and looking at animals in the grass and feeling at peace. And then my grandfather turned toward me, and like the angels, he communicated telepathically with great love in his eyes, and he said, do you want to continue on? And and I knew that that meant, you know, possible death and never returning and going toward God and I just said yes with every bit of hope and joy and love in my heart. I was like, there's nothing more that I want that I want than to be near God. Just I could feel that love and I wanted to go toward it. And there was this light kind of in the right hand corner, um, like a sun. And I just started going toward that sun. And as I was going toward that bright light, I felt more loved than I'd ever felt in my life. And Everything that I've been searching for in life was completed and found there. So I've never felt as good as I felt there, and I don't think that I ever will in this form. I don't think it's possible. So people talk about, you know, romantic love and passion or a parent's love for a kid, and it, just none of it compares. It, it is just paltry in comparison to that love. That love is so powerful, just fills every cell of your body, and you feel both freedom and comfort yes. and absolute utter peace and joy and happiness and every good emotion that you can possibly feel, you feel there. And so I felt people's prayers trying to pull me back to my body. And I remember thinking, oh, that's sweet. You know, whatever, <laughs> you know, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't hold me back. I'm not going back. And, uh, and I, I think, though, in retrospect, feeling their prayers is important because even when people transition, maybe they're hearing the prayers of people who love to them, you know, and so mm-hmm. they're never wasted. And that that was kind of sweet. And Some people then, are actually called back by the prayers of others. It's, it's a powerful enough message that that's why they return. 
I know. I guess I, I wasn't moved. <laughs> 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 that love of God was so much more <laughs> to me, and I, I was going toward it, and and then God stopped me, and I felt like the, this booming voice say, stop, and I was forced to look down, and it looked like all these souls along a river, and I just knew that they were souls, that they were little lights, and some didn't have their lights turned on, and some had their lights turned on, and they were flowing, and I thought the river maybe represented life, and God was like, you're going to go back, and you're going to be a teacher, and I knew this to not be a spiritual teacher, but to be an actual teacher in a public school, and then in college, you know, and I thought, oh, no, 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 God, you're, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I hate public <laughs> speaking. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do this. That That is just a job for people who don't make any money. No way. <laughs> like, keep me here or let me go back and be a lawyer or an editor or something. <laughs> and and God was like, no, you're going back. And I argued a little more. And as I argued, I felt this kind of dark wind, like, sucking me back into my body, <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I've been kicked out of heaven <laughs> and into my body, <laughs> and from the minute I woke up, I knew I had a near-death experience. There was never a doubt, you know, some people forget, and some people, you know, it takes them a long time to process. I mean, I still had to process, but I knew, like, the minute they were feeding me ice chips, I was like, Hey, I died. I died. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me take you back a minute and ask you what what animals did you see in the in that tall grass? Oh, rabbits of all things. And rabbits. You know, wow. yeah, this was important to me because as a kid, I had a couple of moments where I really wanted to know if there was a god. And one of them, one of the moments was I was like five or six, and I went into this briar patch, and I sat in a lotus position, and I closed my eyes, and I was like, if there's a God, please let these rabbits come to me and know me. And so I felt very still and closed my eyes, and then I opened my eyes, and the little baby rabbits were playing all around my feet. I mean, so close to me. I could reach out and touch them. And I, I was like, oh, wow, cool. And then another moment in childhood when I didn't believe that there was a God, I ended up, um, you know, just asking God for a sign, and I said I wanted $100, and then on my 10th birthday, my grandfather gave me that $100, and he died, like, a few months later. Huh. Was he the only person that you saw when you were there, or did you see any other beings, spiritual beings? No, it was just him and God and the angels, so I didn't see any other ancestors, and I didn't have many family members that were dead at that time, so sure, he was the only one I knew. And was it just a great, huge, empty field, or were there trees? What was? What, were there any flowers? I didn't see flowers, but I saw clouds and this beautiful, bright blue sky, and the field seemed to go on and on and on as if there was much more. Like mm. it seemed to be just a restful, peaceful place. And I kind of understood that since I could manipulate my form from, you know, a 22 year old to a kid, that maybe my grandfather brought that car into existence to calm me down and to help me recognize him and, and that we could kind of manipulate things there, you know, with, with what we wanted to do. Right. So when you were a child on the back of the truck, 
you were actually seeing yourself as as a child again. Yeah, yeah. But at 22, I guess I wanted to pick that form as the form to <laughs> enter heaven. <laughs> and so you were a child of about what age, would you say? Probably anywhere between five and seven, you know, that, that age. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could go back to to an age just like that? Oh, what, no. What a, what a wonderful experience to be to be able to to be there again and feel that way again and have the the body of a seven year old and and um, the mind of a seven year old oh. and the joy the deep joy and the being in the moment of uh, of beauty I think children oh. are so capable of just having a deep joy and hope without being furnished by pain and disappointment. Yes. So when you came out, did you? Tell the first person you saw that you'd uh, had a near-death experience, or who did you tell? Yeah, so they were feeding me ice chips, and as soon as they took the tracheotomy out, and my voice was all, you know, and I don't know how I sounded. I just know that I made the attempt. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I asked the nurse who was feeding me ice chips after I became oriented again to my body, said, I need to see Dr. Flan. She was my surgeon. And mm. I need to ask her something. And so Dr. Flan walked in and I said, I died. I know I died. How long was I dead? And mm. she was really startled. And she said, uh, we lost you for a couple of minutes, but you're fine. Uh, we're getting blood transfusions. You're going to, you're going to be absolutely fine. And I was like, how'd you revive me? What? You know, like I wanted to know more. And she just kept kind of patting my arm going, look, you know, you lost a lot of blood. Let's just get these transfusions in you and you know you're going to be fine yeah and uh and how soon after um this experience did you start thinking about your um your impending career as a teacher immediately you know and i was kind of angry but resigned at the same time because i mean (laughs) if that's the last (laughs) thing you hear from god you're not going to go against it. I mean, that would be absolute foolishness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I think is very interesting about that is that, God, you know, a teacher is imparting knowledge, you know, uh, book learning, not not spiritual learning. But at the same time, a teacher that is in the spirit is imparting a lot along with that uh you know, math and English and, and all the things that you learn in school. So... God must want our teachers to be infused with that um, with, with that spiritual awareness as well. Oh yeah, the kids are hurting so much, and what I found is that my kindness was the most important thing I could do for anyone to bring them into greater peace. So whatever subject matter you teach, you know, that is of, co- of course important. But I taught you know high school and college English, so poetry and stories have so many themes, morals, um, there's so many different ways to talk about things that are relevant to their lives, and I know that the other side participated in helping me reach certain students simply through a lecture sometimes of just talking about, you know, Walt Whitman, Song of Myself, and some of the transcendental messages, or, you know, other elements of stories where, you know, like pretty intense modern themes might come up in some contemporary stories that relate to their own lives and then we can talk about healing and we can talk about moving forward and really just there were many opportunities to reach them at their level 
through literature. Yeah. What a powerful choice Walt Whitman is. I mean, what a spiritual writer who integrated uh, spirit and life, you know, and, and interesting too that, you know, his leaves of grass, that's what you saw when you were, when you were up there. Yeah, he was the perfect one to talk about near-death experiences. <laughs> and, and, you know, as odd as it is, and you know, other teachers have asked me about this later, they're like, you did that? I've talked about my near-death experience in connection to mm. Whitman every time I taught him. And so most every class has heard my near-death experience. And I thought, you know, people go to IANS and they expect these stories, but you don't expect one in a high school classroom. <laughs> you know, like no. that kind of jars you into it. A different way and yeah, I think but, kids are very apt to to respond to something like that. I mean, that's such a it's such an amazing story. It would really fascinate and and teach them something about the the power of uh, of the spirit as well as you know their life with their oh. iPhones and everything. Oh yeah, um, I, I, t- t- tell, always t- a million tell questions. The, <laughs> tell, yeah, tell our listeners a little about because uh, you've taught lots of different places. Uh, tell them how your career uh, has gone so far. Yeah, so I've taught in inner-city schools. I've taught in country schools that were quite poor. I've taught at uh, boarding schools that are quite exclusive on the East Coast and then community colleges for the last 10 years. And I think that variety of students across the nation and then across the world, too, I taught in South Korea, has really uh-huh. just shown me the innocence of students and their true desire for a better life, no matter who they are, and their questioning spirit. And it's it's such, it is a sacred job, you know, because you are talking to the souls of people and getting them to do really deep analysis about, you know, their essence, their truth, who they want to be apart from who their parents want them to be. You know, you're teaching them how to believe in themselves, how to Reprogram their minds from the culture, and you know there's so much that can be taught in an English class. <laughs> you know that it, it's really, um, it's really quite a, kind of beautiful. And and the biggest changes, you know, have been in schools where, um, you know, students are deeply hurting. You know, there's there's more trauma and more shocking stories than anyone could imagine in a public school. Yes. Now you've uh, published uh, poetry. Did you bring some with you today to uh, to share with the audience? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, so I was so certain that I'd had a near-death experience that even when I had all that morphine running through me, I asked for a journal and a pad of paper, and I wrote part of this poem about the angels while I was still hooked up to IVs <laughs> and all that. Because <laughs> I okay. was afraid that I would forget it because I thought, oh, my God, what if all this medicine rushing through me makes me forget this experience, I didn't realize I'd remember it forever, <laughs> that it would be yeah. the most powerful and the most profound experience in my life. But, but yeah, this one got published, and I actually got $50 for it. I feel like a really wow. good through it. You want me to read it? Yes, please. Okay, it's called After the Wreck. How could I know that the world would have compassion and that at the moment of impact, my back would crack, but I would retain the sensation of this body first floating away from it, then returning silvered and open mouthed, like a fish caught on the hook of a reoccurring dream, struggling, flapping about and jerked up to the surface of a room full of fluorescence, tiny desires to survive pulsing through my body 
and rivulets. How could I know that the angels I recalled from painting would become bright, intelligent companions at the end of my bed and that the torrential light from their eyes would answer my questions instantly? How could I know that eternal peace would disintegrate like ice chips in my mouth and some of the calming knowledge would drown for a while in refills of morphine? How could I know I would forget some of the messages in the way we forget whispers and dreams? Mm. Very nice. Wow. And uh, do you have another one? Yeah, this one is kind of short, but one thing that I took back from my near-death experience was um, I had some beautiful friendships, and it seemed like soul contracts with certain people, and I remembered in at different times like who we were in spirit, and we were just like spirits that would fly with each other and laugh <laughs> in the afterlife, <laughs> and so this is kind of about that, but flying. Okay is the physical sensation of love, like a flock of startled Canadian geese rising up from a pond, blood rising in your veins, fear, anticipation. If you have memories before birth, they are a flight of colors of people who you know now and laughter. The choice to experience the eternal in temporary fleeting moments is why we call love falling. Wow. Well, um, after you've finished with your book about near-death experience, uh, were you thinking about a book on of poetry? Yeah, so it was so hard writing a book, Lee, that I was like, I'm never going to write one again, and then I'm kind of rested <laughs> now. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write one for college students, I'm going to write a book of poetry, and I'm going to write a young adult novel. But maybe after all that, I'll quit. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, well, I'll uh, put the poetry together. <laughs> Well, tell the listeners about the book you're working on now, and um, you, you you plan on having it published by next summer. Well, yeah, uh, I have a literary agent and a publisher, and I just started in my final edit, so they're working on, I'm excited to see the book cover design, which is going to be the angels in the OR, working through the surgeon, so uh-huh. I can't wait to see it. Um, it'll be fun, you know, to see how artists um, depict that. And, um yeah, so hopefully they said May or June it will be available in print and then an ebook and Audible as well. Oh, terrific! And um, you you could do an Audible too. Yeah, I'm begging. So Simon and Schuster is doing the Audible, and I'm begging them to let me read it. I mean, they have their set of uh, you know readers that they, yes. they choose from, but I keep <laughs> asking my main editor, I'm like, let me do it. <laughs> I, I I think. If you want to read it, I think you you should have the right to read your own book, for goodness sake. Right. <laughs> uh, now, t- tell us as well about your um, you're interviewing other NDEers uh, on your YouTube site. So uh, tell us what motivated you to start that and how um, how our listeners can find it. Well, it was it was kind of random, but I thought. Well, I've been interviewed by a couple of different people, um, Yannicka from Wisdom from North, and and I loved her questions, loved her channel, and I was like, I wonder what it would be like as a near-death experiencer to interview other near-death experiencers. We could both, you know, connect in a way like, oh, yeah, I had this part, like you, or no, that's different from mine, <laughs> and, you know, kind of decompress it and, and be there for each other, and 
what I found is I didn't expect this, but it was so amazing that I would hear some near-death experiences and then I'd go meditate after doing an interview and I'd relive parts of their near-death experience and really just kind of connect with with some of them that were, you know, very energetically um, profound for me. And it was like, what a nice after effect. And I, I began to wonder if people listening to these who haven't had near-death experiences have the same kind of effect from listening to these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I love and it. And if I they wanted to, uh, to tune into that, how would they do that? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. If you just type in my name, Trisha Barker, near-death experience, you'll probably find it on YouTube, but it is Healed you- by the Light, the, uh, the uh, YouTube channel's name. Wow. Trisha, thank you so much. Uh, we're, we're out of time. But thank you for telling us um, both your fascinating story and, and, and about the career that followed and um, the good work you're doing with the students. Um, if, if listeners would like to hear the show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org and hit the Past Shows button. And for information about IANS, just go to their website at iands.org and be with us again next Monday. 11 a.m. Eastern for more NDE Radio. This is your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.